Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the veil in the temple as we pick up in Exodus chapter 26, verse 31. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. Now, separating the rooms on the inside was to be a veil. Now, there are sources in history, whether or not they are accurate, we do not know, but that when they made the veil in the temple to separate the Holy of Holies, there are some records that state that the veil in the temple itself was 18 inches thick, woven together, just really a heavy, heavy, thick veil in the temple. That is the veil that was rent, torn from the top to the bottom when Jesus was crucified. Of course, symbolic of the fact that God, through Jesus Christ, has opened the door for all men to come freely unto him. Access to God no longer limited to just the high priest. Access to God now open to every one of us because of the rent veil of the temple. But here is described the veil that they are to make for this Holy of Holies, the inner veil. Thou shalt make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet. Fine twine linen, cunning work, with cherubims it shall be made. So again, the cherubims woven into it. And thou shalt hang it upon four pillars of acacia wood that are overlaid with gold. Their hooks shall be of gold and the four sockets of silver. And thou shalt hang the veil under the tax that... Uh, You may bring thither within the veil the ark of the testimony, and the veil shall divide unto you between the holy place and the most holy, and thou shalt put the mercy seat upon the ark of the testimony in the most holy place. And thou shalt set the table outside the veil, the candlestick over against the table on the side of the tabernacle toward the south, and thou shalt put the table on the north side. And thou shalt make a hanging for the door of the tent of blue and purple and scarlet, fine twine linen wrought with needlework. And thou shalt make for the hanging five pillars of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, and their hooks shall be of gold. And thou shalt cast five sockets of brass for them. Because there they would come in with the blood of the sacrifices and thus the brass sockets for those particular gold overlaid acacia staves. So I trust that you're getting sort of a mental picture of this. It's a tent, golden boards forming the walls around it, so that when you walk into the tabernacle itself, you would have to go through this first veil. You would enter into this room that is 15 feet high, and as you looked up, you would see the linen with the uh, cherubims and so forth that are woven into the uh, material. Over 
On your right side, you would see the table of showbread. And on your left side, you would see the lampstand. And in front of you would be another curtain with cherubims and all woven in it. If you would go past the second curtain, in there you would see a golden box that is sitting with a golden lid on top and carved on the top of that golden lid would be these cherubims with outstretched wings. And thus you get an idea of what the tabernacle looked like on the inside. Now, on the outside, they were to make a court which would be 75 feet wide and 150 feet long with curtains around it seven and a half feet high so that you have this outer court which is sort of a curtained-in area, 75 feet by 150 feet. Curtains that are 70, or seven and a half feet high, which makes them too high to tiptoe and peek over. And these curtains were set on these posts that were set in brass sockets and so forth. And the whole thing, as I said, was portable. When they need to move, they could just go in, take the thing apart, wrap it up. And, the, and there were certain of the tribe of Levites that were the bearers. They had to carry the thing, and they would take it to the next place, and then they could set it up. It's like uh, a tent is easily mobile, and, and thus uh, it, was, it was made very portable and uh, able to move it around as God would lead the children of Israel. And so this court, now in the court, again, he follows, first of all, the furnishings in this court are to be a brass altar. Thou shalt make an altar of acacia wood, five cubits long, which would be seven and a half feet, and so it is a square. The altar of acacia wood, but now it is overlaid with brass because we have the symbol of judgment where the sacrifices were to be burnt unto the Lord. And so it is seven and a half feet square on the top. It is four and a half feet high. And on each corner there is a horn. Uh, the, it was carved in a, in a horn shape coming up. And uh, so there were the four horns on each of the corners of this seven and a half foot altar four and a half feet high, all overlaid with brass. And as he first of all gave you the furnishings of the tabernacle and then the tabernacle, so the furnishings of the outer court and then the description of how the outer court uh, was to be made. Now in verse 20, we get to the oil for the light. And you uh, shall command the children of Israel that they bring pure olive oil, beaten for the light to cause the lamp to burn always. In the tabernacle of the congregation, outside of that holy of holy veil, which is before the testimony, Aaron and his sons shall order it from evening to morning before the Lord. It shall be a statute forever unto their generations 
on behalf of the children of Israel. So they were to use olive oil in these cups, in this golden lampstand, and Aaron and his sons, it was their duty to keep the oil in there constantly so that the light never went out. And so as we get into history, we remember uh, the case where Samuel, when he was just growing up, he was brought by his mother who had dedicated him to the Lord, to the priest. Eli, the high priest, and, and Samuel became sort of an errand boy. And one night he heard his name being called. And he ran into Eli and he said, what did you want? He said, I didn't call you. What are you doing here? I said, I surely heard my name called. Now I go back to bed. He went back to bed and again he heard his name called and uh, came running in again, and, and Eli says, No, I didn't call you. What's going on? Get back to bed. And so the next time, Eli said, Look, if you hear someone calling again, just say, Speak, Lord, your servant hears. And so he heard his name called again, and he said, Speak, Lord, your servant hears. Well, the Lord was trying to tell him that the, the oil was going out. Someone had failed in the job there in the lights. And so... Uh, the beginning of his listening to the Lord and, and all involved this uh, lights that were to be kept burning. Uh, during the time that the temple was profaned by Antiochus Epiphanes, when he offered a pig on the altar and just spread its blood around the temple, Judas Maccabeus, so incensed over this sacrilege, put an idol of Zeus within the temple. Judas Maccabeus, so incensed that he gathered together some of the Israelis, and they went out against insurmountable odds and wiped out the Syrian host, the men of Antiochus, and they then cleansed to reap you know, rededicated the temple. But they had only enough oil for one day for the lampstand. Now, it took a process of time. It took, as they developed the whole thing, you know, after a while you get men's routines in it and you get all kinds of rules and regulations. And by this time, it took seven days to get this olive oil all purified by the rituals and all. And so, they knew that they weren't going to be able to prepare any olive oil for seven, you know, take them seven days before they could prepare it for the use. And so miraculously, as the story goes, though they had only a one-day supply of oil, the lights remained for the eight days until the eighth day they were able to make the oil. And thus, you have the Jewish holiday of Hanukkah, the lighting of the candles, and one candle each day, the eight days and so forth, the Jewish holiday of Hanukkah, which celebrates God's miraculous supply of oil for uh, Judas Maccabeus at that particular period of their history. Now, as we get into chapter 28, we now move into the priesthood. We now have the tabernacle constructed. 
and at least the, the architecture, the designs, it's on, the blueprints are drawn. And now getting to the priest, take thou unto the Aaron your brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. Even Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and Eleazar and Ithamar, Aaron's sons. And thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron thy brother for glory and for beauty. And so they were to wear these, these robes. And thou shalt speak unto all that are wise-hearted, whom I have filled with my spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. And so uh, God was going to fill men with the spirit of wisdom, giving them the skills to make these robes. And these are the garments which thou shalt make, a breastplate, an ephod, a robe, an embroidered coat, a mitre or a crown, and a girdle, a sash. And they shall make holy garments for Aaron thy brother and his sons, that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. And they shall take gold and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen. Now the ephod, sort of a cloak that was worn over the shoulders and down, of gold and blue and of purple and of scarlet, with cunning work, it shall and it shall have the two shoulder pieces thereof joined at the two edges thereof, and it will be joined together. And the curious girdle of the ephod, which is upon it, shall be of the same according to the work thereof, even of gold, of blue, of purple, scarlet, and fine twin linen. Thou shalt take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the children of Israel. So that these onyx stones were actually to tack this ephod here at the shoulders, that uh, to tack it together here at his shoulders. But on these onyx were the names of the children of Israel so that whenever the priest would go before God, he was always bearing the names of the children of Israel, that is the tribes of Israel, on his shoulders. Whenever he would go before God, there in the onyx stones, there in his shoulders, the tribes of Israel would be six on each shoulder being carried before God. With the worker, the engraver in stone, like the engravings of a signet, you'll engrave the two stones with the names of the children of Israel and shall make them to be set in the ouches of gold. And thou shalt put the two stones upon the shoulder of the ephod for stones of a memorial unto the children of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord upon his two shoulders for memorial. And you'll make the ouches of gold and the two chains of pure gold at the ends Wreathen work shalt thou make them and fasten the wreathen chains to the ouches. Now the breastplate on his chest, there was this breastplate that he was to wear. The breastplate of judgment with cunning work, the work of the ephod shalt thou make it, of gold and blue and purple and scarlet, of fine twine linen shalt thou make it. It shall be a square and it shall be doubled, four squares shall it be being doubled. A span shall be the length thereof, and a span shall be the breadth thereof. Now, a span is the, diff, the, the length between your thumb and your finger. 
So a square like this, this little breastplate that the priest wore on his chest. And thou shalt set in it the settings of stones, four rows and three stones in each row. The first row shall be sardis, topaz, carbuncle. The second shall be an emerald, sapphire, and a diamond. The third shall be a lingur, an agate, and an amethyst. And the fourth shall be a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. So these precious stones. And they shall be set in gold in their enclosings. And the stones shall be with the names of the children of Israel, twelve according to their names, like the engravings of a signet. Every one with his name shall they be according to the twelve tribes. And so there is to be a golden chain holding this breastplate over his chest so that actually he was bearing now not only the names of the children of Israel on his shoulders before the Lord, but over his heart, the names of the tribes of Israel over his heart as they were engraved on each stone representing one of the tribes and the names of the tribes engraved under the stones. So verse 29, Aaron shall bear the names of the children of Israel in the breastplate of judgment upon his heart when he goes in unto the holy place for a memorial before the Lord continually. So as he comes into the presence of God, he's bearing really the names of the tribes of Israel on his shoulders, on his heart. Now in verse 30, the Urim and the Thummim. And thou shalt put in the breastplate of judgment the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be upon Aaron's heart. When he goeth in before the Lord, and Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel upon his heart before the Lord continually. Now, what is the Urim and the Thummim? Really, um, the, the words mean lights and perfections. I really don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us what the Urim and the Thummim actually are. But in years to come, when they wanted to hear from God, they would oftentimes come to the priest to inquire of the Lord. And the Urim and the Thummim had something to do with inquiring of God. Because they would come to the priest with the Urim and the Thummim and he would inquire of the Lord for them. So when David wanted to know, shall we go out to battle? Rather than just going out to battle, he would come to the priest and say, inquire of the Lord, shall we go to battle? And the priest with the Urim and the Thummim would inquire of God and say, yes, go. And, and then they would continue to get directions. Now, some believe that the Urim and the Thummim were actually two stones, a black stone and a white stone. And that in the inquiring of the Lord, the priest would reach in and pull out one of the stones. If he pulled out the white stone, it was God saying yes. If he pulled out the black stone, it was God saying no. And that is one of the most prominent theories of what the Urim and the Thummim actually were. Two stones by which the, the priest would say, God, you know, show us, shall we go now? And he'd pull in, and if the white stone would come out, yes, we go now. If the black stone would go out, no, we wait. And then uh, they would keep asking questions that could be answered by yes and no, inquiring of the Lord for directions and guidance. 
It is interesting, in the New Testament, the disciples were following somewhat similar kind of leading when they were wanting to choose a replacement for Judas Iscariot. They, they sort of drew straws. They cast lots. Now, the casting of lots is much the same. It is, uh, and this was a method, casting of lots was a method used quite often by people to determine the will of God. You remember Saul used the casting of lots to determine who had disobeyed his order. He said, you know, we'll divide all of Israel and Jonathan and my son and we'll cast lots. And the lots fell on Saul and Jonathan. He said, Jonathan, what did you do? And so the casting of lots was a, was a method by which they sought from God answers. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Exodus on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Exodus 26-28 through when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's thewordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today. P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord be with you and bless you and keep you. May he bring you into a fresh awareness of his presence. And may you experience a fresh work of God within your lives. And may you come into a deeper relationship of love, love for God and love for each other. And especially, may God give you a heart of praise and rejoicing so that your life might be pleasing to him as you rejoice in the Lord always. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. Sometimes it's difficult to know what to say or how to help someone who is going through a recent death in the family or a sudden tragedy that's happened. And it's in times like this that we want to be used by God to bring encouragement, hope, and most of all, love to our family and friends who are going through a hardship. That's why I'd like to tell you about a book by Chuck Smith called When the Storm Hits. I'm amazed when I read this book 
that it's able to encourage and strengthen a person and persuade them to look to Jesus and not at their problem. It encourages us to be patient, not to lose hope, and when the storm hits, to get anchored on Jesus, the rock, and don't let go. To order a copy of Chuck Smith's book, When the Storm Hits, please call the Word for Today at 800-272-9673. Or you can visit us online to read a preview of the book by visiting thewordfortoday.org.